0: Hey there i'm joe and this is looking outside join me and some of the most influential and original thinkers in business and beyond as we explore fresh takes on familiar topics driving social and environmental change from within a business particularly from inside of a big global corporation is not easy Many of us are proud to work for the organizations that we do, myself included, but we are also driven to aid in their evolution, to better adapt to external challenges. And particularly for companies that have been around for a while, that push for greater responsibility can be challenging. Well, today I'm joined by someone who has succeeded in doing just that over decades at none other than McDonald's. A big, big warm welcome to the show to Bob Langett. Hi, Bob.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast.
0: Thank you so much for saying yes. Now, before we get into the intro, Bob, I just want you to know that I have been trying to get you on my podcast for a year. You just didn't know about it because I've been with McDonald's for a year. And the very first thing that I did was buy Bob's book, read it, loved it. Um, It really, really spoke to me. And I've been dying to get you on my show ever since then. But I've only just had the opportunity to ask you. So thank you so much for saying yes.
1: Well, I'm, th- I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that you're interested.
0: <laughs> well, let's start with um, a little bit of an introduction uh, into who you are so that everybody else can get interested.
1: Who am I? Well, uh, professionally, I started out just going to college. Didn't know what I wanted to do as a young person. I just wanted to change the world. I really did. I grew up in the 60s. I would define myself as a, uh, a child of the 60s in a positive way, like, uh, hey, I want to change the world. I was too young to protest Vietnam and all, all the different things going on at that time. But, man, I, I saw Martin Luther King do his march in my local park in Chicago, where I was raised. I was 10 years old. How many 10-year-olds ride their bike to see Martin Luther King? And the way that he was treated so poorly, Martin Luther King later said it was probably the worst that he was ever treated. It was in Chicago. By the way, my neighborhood. Wow. So I grew up that's how I grew up and I wanted to change the world. And uh, but hey, when I graduated in nineteen seventy-eight, there wasn't there weren't like jobs to change the world unless you want to get into a nonprofit area. So uh, I ended up joining McDonald's in charge of truck drivers. And believe it or not, that led to being involved with packaging, which involved getting attacked. I, I ended up joining McDonald's and McDonald's was the target of too much packaging. So I kind of fell into corporate social responsibility just when it was beginning to be a big thing for companies in the the late 80s. So yeah, professionally, I definitely am so passionate about using business to change the world. I've seen it done, I've seen it done by McDonald's, I've seen it done by so many peers. And then uh, personally, I've just been a a person that wants to be um, active, you know, love tennis, I'm into pickleball now. I have two daughters, six grandchildren, <laughs> and I want to keep up with my grandchildren. So try to stay in shape, be very active and all that stuff.
0: <laughs> six grandchildren, yeah, that would keep you busy. But I guess it would also kind of remind you, I mean, when you had children, obviously, back then as well, but also particularly now, like the generation that you're, we are handing the world over to and, and why so much of the work that you've been doing and pushing for is so important.
1: I can't tell you that's my uh, that's my dream. I will admit to you during my lifetime of working on with my peers and working with the executives. You know, in general, I would say sustainability's been short shrifted along the way. It just was not a big priority for so many American executives. European executives, I think that's you know, different, in some other cultures around the world, but. I think the United States has been sorely lacking with executives that see uh, sustainability as being kind of like a, a key part of being a business, but I see it been shifting over the last 10 years. I'm really excited with the changeover <laughs> of younger people taking over because uh, I think they're going to have a different mindset.
0: Yeah, they definitely do. And I guess a part of the reason that the U.S. leadership more generally across many organizations and industries, specifically in the U.S., are a little bit skeptical, hesitant to make any drastic changes around sustainability for their businesses, at least from what I hear, is because they don't believe that the consumer really cares. I think that if there was just like an obvious consumer demand or drive to spend more money on these things it would be a much easier sell so do you find that part of the story of you know creating a compelling case for sustainability has been about communicating that people actually do care they just might not be able to act on their values
1: i think you're uh, absolutely right even in my time at mcdonald's we did research on the consumer and i think I think McDonald's probably outdoes most companies with knowing who their consumer is. And the McDonald's consumer, in general, is most everybody. And so you get a good pulse. We really had a hard time finding people that didn't care about societal issues. It was very, very hard to find people that didn't care. So uh, that's the global consumer. So it's always been out there, but there's not an immediate payoff to work on sustainability issues. They take a long time the the changing, you know, beef to be more sustainable, developing animal welfare programs. Almost all the major things I worked on, the the lifetime of working on them might take two, five, seven years to actually start them, grow them, mature them, et cetera. And most companies, yeah, you know, the CEOs change over what, every three years? They're not looking for the uh, long term benefits. So that's what I I think company that's where a lot of leaders lack I think they see the research that this is important but do they really want to spend their time and their capital and their you know money on something that doesn't have a short-term return so you really need to have more of a long-term view I do believe over the last 5-7 years though there's so many more leaders that are uh, are seeing the opportunity side and that's how I define it I would say up until 5-8 years ago most companies looked at sustainability as being uh, something to be afraid of. Let's stay out of trouble. Uh, Let's lay low. Uh, If we do anything or speak about it, we're going to open Pandora's box. These are all the things that I hear from many colleagues, you know, from many, many companies. But I think what's happened is people, leaders are finally seeing the opportunity side. Yes, there is always a risk. But the opportunity side for uh, consumers, as you mentioned, for investors, which is pretty big, which for employees, both current and prospective, I think is huge. We're having a, a, a risk-free business because, you know, a lot of these issues, if you don't manage them well, they'll come and get you later on. So, you know, I, I think there's a, a strong business case that more and more leaders are seeing.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's something that you touched on there twice, which really really stuck with me that you actually wrote about in the book, which is that nobody gets rewarded for preventing a problem in a business, right? Like there are no heroes for preventing a problem.
1: I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you know I'm thinking of <laughs> our discussion today mm. that came up in my mind. Mm. I go, well, you know, how do you make change? You know, you know, most companies see what's on the horizon. I think you're in the business of looking out this front, you know. By almost everything that we that confronted McDonald's, all the tough issues we faced, we saw them all coming. And I would walk around the hallways of McDonald's and say, "Hey, we should do this. We should do this ahead of time." It's like, "Well, where's the incentive? Are you sure we should do it ahead of time?" And uh, it's one of my, it's probably my biggest, you know, pet peeve is that companies see things coming in general. They kind of wait until there's a, a crisis, and then when there's a crisis, all hands on deck. We did it at McDonald's. I thought we were very good at handling things where, where we're in trouble. And then there's heroes, you know. But I would say we don't want heroes. Uh, why not set up a uh, animal welfare program before you're being attacked by PETA? And yeah. you know, get your own strategy in place. Be be proactive so you can stand tall you know, at McDonald's, we didn't, we didn't develop our own proactive strategy until 2014. And I started working on this back in 1988. So we went a long time being, I would call reactive. Now we were good at being reactive and I'm not trying to diminish what I did or what our company did, but in general it was reactive. And, uh, More and more companies gotta get out of that mode. It's it's not where you wanna be. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, McDonald's is not alone in being a more reactive, less proactive organization. And when you're that big as well, it's so much harder to move the entire system towards change. And we have these like beautiful little pockets in the organization where there are people who are really energized about turning risk into opportunity, being a lot more proactive and preemptive and using anticipatory planning versus just risk management, which a lot of organizations obviously have in place, but then actually scaling that throughout the organization is challenging. So I know that in the book and in kind of the story that you tell about the sustainability journey and McDonald's, you say it's so important to turn your critics into allies and create that kind of like the advocacy inside of the organization. So how do you find the advocates from within? Like, is it an instinctual gut feeling that you get when you meet somebody that you know, ah, oh, this person gets it and I can, you know, pull them into the ta- like task force or do you do you have a, a more thorough process than that?
1: Well, you're talking about within the company itself. Mm. I wish I'd learned this a lot earlier. I think it's shocking how many of the leaders that i ran into were big supporters of doing things you know when in fact my perception was that many of them would not be supporters so what i mean by that is i think one of the mistakes i made early on was uh, underestimating the power of getting being more collaborative doing more, like, interviews, like, you can't assume that the top 10 people are negative about something. You just can't, let's not assume that. You may think that might be the case, (laughs) but uh, I found that when I went alone and was not collaborative, I would fail at getting things done. But if I were to uh, maybe interview the top 10, 15 executives or go into departments and uh, get their input on things and and get their honest opinions, it was just surprising once you know where they're coming from, the common ground that you could find. So I found getting internal allies sort of a little bit easier than I thought it would be, although, hey, it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't all, you know, roses at all. I still remember um, climate change. I think I was pushing developing a strategy on climate change probably as early as 2000 or so. And uh, I do remember we we had a a committee at that time that I would speak in front of of a lot of the uh, top managers and directors and some officers. I would say three quarters of them looked at me like I was crazy, you know, advocating that we develop a climate change policy or, you know, this is probably at the time that the Al Gore movie came out, Inconvenient Truth, which in our company, it ended up being a negative, not a positive you know, even for a lot of the world that maybe awoke a lot of the world. But I don't know. As you probably know, the history of climate change and people that don't believe it, it's not a good history. You know, there's too many people, too many companies, you know, fighting it. And uh, I, I felt that. But when you, when you feel the resistance, you feel like it's not there. What I learned is you, you just don't give up. You just don't give up. If you think something is worthy of being in the company, worthy of... Uh, being a policy of the company, you think it's the right thing to do. I would never give up on something until they told me, don't do it anymore, Bob, or when they fired me. That's how I always felt. So I was always an advocate, and if I couldn't get a climate change policy in 2000, I just kept at it, kept at it, kept at it until we finally got one. You know, So it doesn't come as fast as you want sometimes, but if you got a good idea... Use every angle you can to, to, to get it approved in the company.
0: Love that, love that. And I, I love what you said about, you know, that people can surprise you. So don't make assumptions that people don't care and just find that common ground, ask questions, speak to people.
1: I'll tell you the story here. This this is all about one of the biggest things I ever did to uh, create change in the company. Probably the number one thing that I'm that I really want to happen in the company was that we would have a, a sustainable beef effort now, there's a lot, of, I can't explain, you know, the vision of sustainable beef in a short interview here, but I figured, you know what, this is probably the most important thing McDonald's can do. You know, when I would talk to experts about what we as a company could do to impact the world for better, you could choose a lot of different things, but certainly our impact on agriculture and beef leads the list for many, many experts. So I had a vision of, hey, if we could change animal welfare, if we can change packaging to be more environmentally friendly, what if we actually could change the way beef is raised and have it scaled? And so I had this big vision of doing this and at the time there was no definition of what sustainable beef was. It was just just more of a, a blind ambition, knowing that it's possible to do it. So I, Don Thompson was finally the CEO in 2014, that said, let's get proactive on sustainability. And he dedicated a whole half day to the top 40 people in the company. He said, Bob, you can do whatever you want for the four or five hours. I want my team educated. I want them to be advocates for sustainability. So what did I do? You know, from all my years of experience, I decided the best thing to do was not for Bob Langert and my team, to present one darn thing to the committee. Now you're probably saying, "What did you do?" <laughs> I, what I did was I brought in the outside world. So I brought in the outside world. This is heading to your question about critics and all that. So I brought in some of the harshest critics. At least, you know, maybe what our executives thought were critics. I brought in the, the head of EDF, the Environmental Defense Fund. I brought in the head of the World Wildlife Fund. I brought in the head of Greenpeace. I brought in leaders in nutrition and human rights. <laughs> okay. So, and I had two panels with an independent moderator. And uh, I just said, hey, we're just go all at it and get some honest discussion, et cetera, et cetera. Well, obviously I planted a lot of questions, you know, with the independent uh, moderator. I mean, hey, I gotta, I gotta make something happier, right? So I told the, uh, the moderator, I said, hey, at some point in time, this is the number one question I want you to pursue. If you were CEO for a day, you could change one thing the McDonald's could do in society through your business, what would it be? So all of these 10 critics that we had, nine of them said, beef. Beef is your biggest impact. Beef is your brand. You know, you buy a lot of beef. Beef is a big problem. You can help solve it, et cetera, et cetera. And the eyes of our executives, they just, they opened up. And then... I remember a couple of the executives said, uh, oh, World Wildlife Fund, if we actually did something good in this area, would you give us credit for it? They said, yeah, we'd praise you if you did. Because our management thinks all we do is get beat up. And then they're realizing these critics really are not, they're not hateful critics that want to tear your business down. They're critics that want to actually like your business. They're willing maybe to work with you to make a difference so it changed how they looked at it and to me it was the pivotal moment in which we got our executive team because we have been working on trying to get approval for a sustainability uh, beef effort and to me that was like the last good straw and uh, i remember the number two guy in the company tim fenton tim fenton was our chief operations officer he was as a gritty hardcore kind of curmudgeon He's an operations guy. Let's get stuff done from New Jersey. And he comes to me outside the bathroom. He goes, bah, man, this sustainable beast stuff. It is really cool. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I thought it was really a, nice. uh, a cool thing. It was just a great benefit bringing critics in. I mean, I could tell you story <laughs> after story. Is that when you collaborate and bring people in with a different way of thinking, you know, supposed critics, almost every time, Your eyes will open up. If you collaborate, you know, there'll be mutual benefit. You each learn a lot. And uh, it's a very powerful thing to uh, go to suppliers with uh, environmental scientists from EDF at your side. Can you imagine us going into our packaging suppliers and here's EDF (laughs) with McDonald's? Or on beef, we're teaming up with World Wildlife Fund, going to suppliers like Cargill saying, hey, we want to change how beef is produced and raised. It's just a a powerful thing. So it can be turned around from a a negative to a positive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you can use that to drive tangible initiatives that can turn the company around. I think that sometimes when you bring the outside in, and I see this big pull from organizations now where they want more of that. They want to be less insular. They want to get that exposure from the outside voices, which is great. But then sometimes it can feel like you're just opening yourself up for critique and nothing else but i think what you've shown in particular with the initiatives that you've run through mcdonald's is that you can instigate change off the back of it really positive change and i i love how you say that the change happened a lot faster than what you even thought that it would and the scale of that change is just tremendous
1: well you summarized it well but there's one other thing that you get out of this which is truly important it goes back to something you said earlier you know, for sustainability to be uh, sustainable in the corporate world, and we're still, we're still, you know, things have been proceeding really nice. I mean, if I look at my 35, you know, uh, arch in this area where it was very reactive before, and now it's, I you know, on a scale of one to 10, if it was one 35 years ago, yeah, you know, we're at five or six now. But hey, we're not at six, seven, eight, or nine. You know, it needs to be, you know, more accepted and, and so on companies need to get credit for what they're doing and companies struggle with how to communicate or use marketing to tell the story or share the story what they're doing for the good of the world and yeah most companies are very afraid to do it and there's a lot of good reasons to you can you can do it in a wrong way easily and most companies i feel like they need to have a course on how to communicate and use marketing in, in a proper way because you cannot use traditional communication or marketing ways to uh, to talk up sustainability. You have to be uh, humble. You you can't uh, exaggerate. You have to acknowledge your your, your problems and your issues. And, yeah. and, and And by the way, these are all things that we, I wish companies would do. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? We can't do X, Y, and Z. Let me tell you why, but look at what we're doing. We're doing this ABC. So, These critics that come in, the best thing McDonald's ever did, it was the EDF that said McDonald's would do a great job reducing waste. It was Dr. Temple Grandin, the leading authority on animal welfare, that said McDonald's changed the face of animal welfare over the last 25 years. It was the World Wildlife Fund that said McDonald's is, you know, using its great influence and power suppliers to change how beef is being produced. Now, when people hear that, there's a good chance they're going to believe it. But if they hear, you know, Bob Langert say that, (laughs) you know, some sort of corporate uh, uh, suit, I don't know if they'll believe it or not. You know, uh, I want them to believe me. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I just really think it's one of the chief ways to achieve (laughs) uh, credit and the ways to uh, communicate to your public.
0: yeah Yeah. i'm so glad that you touched on that because i actually had that written down as a question for you but you've just answered it but it's very much linked into this thing about being in the corporate side really deeply caring about sustainability and wanting to drive that change and make that positive impact from inside of the organization knowing fully well that you are one of the corporate suits you're living a very comfortable life you are in many cases in most cases not fully objective because you need to make sure that you're always keeping in mind the company's best interests, but you you kind of, I think, struggle with that from, from an authenticity perspective is like, I actually do d- like deeply care and I am as a human being deeply passionate about this um, and I want it to come across that way on behalf of the organization, but you have to be respectful of the fact that you are probably not perceived that way by the outside world.
1: Well, that's very, very true. But I tell you what, the uh, I always consider going back to being a kid in the '60s. I've always considered myself to be an activist. I have that in my heart, and uh, it was latent for a long time. I didn't kind of act upon it. Get, you get married, y'all. You know, I got kids, you know. And then you finally get this job where it says, "Oh, you could actually." McDonald's gave me the keys to this big brand. This powerful company, and they said, "Hey, do as much as you can to change the world," in the context of a a business. So I go, "Wow!" So that's when my activists. I mean, I I have so much. I so much want to change the world, but the key here, and this is what I advise the the people that work for me, and yeah, having the passion to do this is sort of a natural, at least for me. I mean, it's just like. It's what I would be. I feel so good about. I mean, when we would change the world through whatever we did, the feeling that I would have, it would it would just be. <laughs> I'm not sure how to describe it. It was like the the biggest high you could ever imagine. So you're so happy, you know, doing you know work like this. But in the business, I always thought I had to be sort of like a secret business activist. <laughs> so in the business, I always wanted to be perceived as a business leader first. I'm not going to be, you know, because, you know, you could be too emotional. If you're too emotional, too passionate, you know what, in business, I think you're going to be, you're not going to be respected as much as you should be. So I would try to always tame that, and I would always try to bring honesty and logic and business cases. I have this model of uh, passion, persistence, and patience. We talked about the, the passion, but I think you know when you think of persistence, you, you got to stick with it. But you got to be patient. So, being for people that want to change the world, you want to have it happen today, don't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you? You do. You see you see the changes have to happen today. Yeah. But the reality is, you have to work within the company, which is it's, it's the right thing to do. You, not everybody in supply chain or in operations—they're not where you're at they're in the four walls of the business. They're they're working on toasters and the next marketing plan for a new sandwich. If you're not thinking of the things that I'm thinking about, I can't just push these ideas on them. But I think if you can enter their world and bring it in in a, 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 a logical way, you can make a lot of things happen.
0: Yeah, definitely, I love that. Passion, persistence, and patience. So on that last one in patience, I was speaking to a very smart person today who recognized, I think, my natural inclination to move quickly on my passion points, particularly in relation to like innovating our organization, preparing it for change, and focusing on some of these blind spots that potentially the company still has. And he said to me, you need to be patient because there will be points if you're not patient where you're gonna get frustrated. And that's just not a very productive thing to be inside of a big organization, it's frustrated. So I'm wondering if you, throughout your journey of driving change at McDonald's and I mean, you've done so much, whether it's animal welfare, you know, the polystyrene, the standards for space for chickens, the beef sustainability that you just talked about. I mean, so many different issues across that time. Did you ever have a point where you were just genuinely frustrated? And how did you work through that?
1: I remember back in, I think 1995, I had talked to the CEO, no, maybe it was the late nineties, I get my years mixed up. But uh, Jim Skinner was the CEO at the time. And and I knew Jim pretty good. He was a supporter of our environmental efforts. He was a very good leader on on nutrition a tough issue for us, by the way, nutrition probably still is. And uh, I said, hey, Jim, we need need an environmental policy. We just can't be scrambling all the time, being reactive. You go, hey, Bob, it's a great idea. But you know what? I'm not the decision maker on that. You have to go to Ralph Alvarez, he's our COO. It all falls underneath him. So I go to him. I did a big presentation about what our policy should be. I mean, I must have spent gobs of time on it. Uh, he didn't look at it ahead of time. All he did was talk about how his uh, he talked his daughter out of getting a Prius because it wasn't a good rate of return. He was a financial guy. And uh, I left the room. He had zero interest in what I gave to him. Yeah, I was very, very disheartened. But you know what? As I said before, I would just be uh, disheartened for uh, a day or two, <laughs> and you just got my. I envisioned working at McDonald's uh, a long time. I mean, my vision was I was just going to keep at it. and you know, if it took a year, if it took two years, if it took five years, I mean, I always thought I'd be there. I'm not sure why I thought that. It was kind of a silly thought. And I know young people today thinking working for a company for two, five, ten. I mean, in my case, thirty-three years is probably an old fogey way of thinking. However, that type of thinking is very good (laughs) Mm -hmm. for what I did, because uh, I was not looking for quick wins. And quick wins to sustainability are very difficult. As you probably know, changing anything in a company is hard, any change, change management is hard. So you get into a company, you go, okay, how are we gonna change sustainability? Almost everything we did was new. So everything was introducing something new so, you know, we had our hands full, but I, I look back and I think, you know, most things we worked on, we actually did some very meaningful things. There's a handful of things that we, you know, failed at. So I don't know. I, I still think McDonald's is a good, good case study for, if you put your mind to it, the culture is good culture. McDonald's is a, is a company that cares. I can't tell you how many times I've heard in meetings about what is the right thing to do. I just think that's a great question. I'm so glad it's being asked. I just read a I just read a book. By the way, I recommend it. it's a nice reading. It's called The Watergate Girl. It's it's about one of the lead lawyers that uh, prosecuted the Watergate burglars, and it's a really really nice read. By the way, and uh, the the Watergate girl, she was uh, just relentless. Uh, by the way, you yeah, she was the only uh, female lawyer at the time. Uh, she was criticized for how she dressed, and you know the none and men were criticized for how they dressed. Uh, but she was just uh, relentless in how she went about her work. And uh, it just it just reminded me of the the kind of that this patience and persistence
0: mm-hmm. and awesome. and well, passion
1: that you that you need to have,
0: yeah, and i'll I'll definitely drop a link to the book into the show notes. Um we'll definitely grab a copy. It sounds really interesting. Um, the change management piece, I think is really, really critical so do you feel like the change management in some of these topics is harder before you get actual change to happen or is it sometimes also after because people then have to adapt to a new way of working and thinking
1: i think they're both because uh, a lot of times changes are made and actually changes aren't made i mean it's it's one thing to say you're going to change it's another thing to change but i think implementing change is uh sort of hard but I, I think if you had the attitude that you can handle, I would have much of my team come back frustrated, earlier questions, believe me. I, I could give you uh, dozens, of th- hundreds of times where people that worked for me would come back, I'm frustrated, we're not getting anywhere, we're taking steps backwards. And uh, I would always say, well, yeah, yeah, we've taken about two steps backwards over this you know, last six months. But well, we've also taken—you didn't notice that—we've taken three steps forward. We're we're gaining a little bit yeah. here and there, mm-hmm. and if you add that up over the course of one or two years, all of a sudden you have different changes in policies that are that are very very possible. So change management requires the leaders to be uh, very persistent, to be very—and I mean, this would be my thought—would be uh, it kind of starts with uh, trust. So, you know, I would ask anybody, I would say, are you, the people you work with, do they 100% trust you? And in order to deliver trust, they have to know who you are, why you do what you do, and do you always deliver on what you say? Now, you don't have to be the smartest person in the world to be 100% trustworthy. And then, you know, everybody has good ideas, so obviously, if we want to change the world with a climate change policy or an animal welfare program, you got to have a good idea. But having the good idea, to me, is the uh, easier part. Now you have to get out there and you know uh, use your influence. I would say that's the other major word, the major thought that would have your listeners think about is how they could influence. Now, there's no When I was thinking like for this interview, it's like, well, what do you say about how to influence people? Well, to me, it's like, when you go play a game of chess, how many moves can you make in a chess game? Is it like millions or something like that? Well, that's how you can influence people. There's so many tricks of the trade to try to influence people, getting to know people, having good relationships with people. Because uh, I always thought almost everything I worked on every bit of change I made, I was working with people that I had already knew for several years. So I can't tell you how much better it is than going into some office like blindly. I don't know you, you don't know me. Yeah. And I'm gonna convince this person that change and spend time in something. Very, very hard to do. So developing uh, relationships. I think having a, a sense of uh, empathy is very important for at least the type of leadership that is in sustainability sustainability is a a lot about the leadership. I would often say that, oh, I had a great title. I was vice president of corporate social responsibility and sustainability. That sounds great, which it was, by the way. However, I didn't have any authority to change anything. I mean, I was not in charge of purchasing. I was not in charge of operations. I was in charge of marketing. I I was not in charge of really anything. So you have a lot of uh, power and influence, but no authority. So you you really have to lever all these little tricks that I felt like I had learned over the years to uh, try to influence people. One that was really, I touched upon it earlier, you have to get out of yourself. You can't be, you have to be very uh, into the shoes of everybody else. You almost have to be 99% not yourself <laughs> to influence people. Because mm-hmm. the more that you are yourself, You know, you're going to push things too much because you can't push sustainability. You can't push it. If you push, you're going to lose. So you have to go in there and uh, uh, ask questions. By the way, what I just said is one of the key things you can do. Just I'd be at meetings. This one guy told me, the guy that was head of uh, marketing research, a really smart guy. After one meeting, I'm not sure if he was just being a mentor. I, I, I bless him for what he told me. Because I think he saw me being too much of a, um, maybe telling people what they should do. So afterwards, he told me, you know, Bob, one of the best ways you can get a message across is asking really good questions. So if you ask really good questions, and, and by the way, be one of the first people to ask questions, it's really interesting how the dialogue can open up towards people being open to whatever change you're looking at.
0: Yeah, and they, and they approach a question very differently than um, a very pointed statement. And also it, uh, asking questions just showcases and builds curiosity muscles and curiosity is beneficial not just for creating a relationship or making a case for change, but just for more broadly for you as a human being to just be more, more open yourself, more well-rounded, more open to different solutions to an existing problem, more open to... F- Actually, asking if this is the right problem that you're trying to solve. So curiosity, I think, is just such a key element, particularly for this topic. So
1: everything you just said is so true. And you know, so for you as a leader, you have to be open. So if you want who you're working with to be open, you have to be open. Yes. And so it's a two-way street. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people in sustainability go, "Well, I have the solution. I mean, I know what we should do. Yeah, you know, here's what it is." And I go, no, 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 just, you got to take it uh, a little bit slower. I mean, when I say slow, you know, I'm not trying to say it's bureaucratic. It's just, you know, changing anybody takes a little time to uh, ask. Yeah. Nobody, there's hardly anybody that wants to be uh, bullied into some decision or be told what to do. Once they feel any of that, you're, you're going to lose them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it goes back to what you said before around patience. So there is something else that you just touched on then, which I wanted to ask you, which is, I think a question on many people's minds when they hear a podcast about McDonald's from someone who works at McDonald's, someone who's worked at McDonald's for 33 years, is that, you know, going back to that point that you made around celebrating what you have done and actually being very, very genuine and very authentic about recognizing where you have made progress, but taking the time to do that. I think is this kind of feeling in the space of sustainability that it's never enough because you are still working for one of the biggest beef producing companies in the world. The company hasn't changed that much since it was created in 1958 and it's still producing very similar products. And it's, it's still what people would say is perpetuating kind of very traditional ways of business operation. So what I'm getting at is some people would always say, well, that you haven't done enough. So it's never enough when it comes to sustainability. So how do you tackle that? Or what advice would you give somebody who is like constantly faced with that kind of criticism?
1: Well, I had that feeling, you know, all the time. And I I know that's the reality because you, um, well, first of all, intellectually, you can, you can never do enough, you never will, you know? So it's, it starts with, that the ceiling is like you don't know where the ceiling is and i can't tell you how many i mean nobody thought obesity was an issue you know when i was growing up it wasn't an issue and then all of a sudden people are, are overweight and people are obese and McDonald's becomes a, a a target and i mean nobody thought our our food was some sort of uh freaking food you know back in the the 60s and 70s so I mean, I can't tell you how things, you know, uh, change. So, and being a target, it can be, uh, it can be wearing on you because uh, if you do something on animal welfare, who cares? You know, look at what they pay their people. Look at how they treat their people. There's, there's always something that's not perfect in a business. Yeah, you're, you're, you're in this game of, you know, like choices that you have to to make, given the cards you dealt. With you're still in a business that has to make money. And there's nothing wrong with that when i was growing up in sustainability they talked about uh, people planning their profit you know that's that was defined as sustainability early in my career and i've never forgotten that and we can't forget about profit is not there's nothing wrong with profit yeah you know, companies aren't going to be able to do what they do you know should companies do more with their profit yeah i think i think they should you know i think they should do more with sharing their profit maybe in different ways yeah, that's that's why you have to be careful about how to communicate. Gets back to the other issue is you can't climb the mountain and say you're, you're 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 a real social responsibility company. You just it's just it's you can't say that. At least in my mind, I can't say that. You can say you try. We're we're, we're trying to be the best that we can within within our business to to treat our people right, pay them right, our supply chain being good and ethical. It's, and then you know. Our business model was can be challenged. You know, a lot of people say, "Well, you know, shouldn't shouldn't uh, your so many businesses uh, shouldn't it be uh, changed or adapted to modern times?" And I mean, that's a that's a very philosophical, you know, deep 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 question in my mind. I I always get it. I would always in my speeches when this kind of question came up, I would always quote Ray Kroc. You know, the founder of McDonald's. I think back in, you know, way back in the early 60s, he would go, I don't know what we're going to sell in the year 2000, but whatever it is, it's going to be a lot of it. And, you know, okay, that's the business model of McDonald's. for good or worse. I think it's good. You know, I believe in the business model. You know, we're going to focus in on some food items. We're going to sell a lot of them. We're not going to be, you know, selling a thousand things. We're going to do it in a place that's uh, economical, good quality, and people can have fun. And uh, I think I liked that business model. I was proud of that. Yeah. I could be proud of that. I could be proud of it today. But what we're gonna sell, I think is interesting. We're gonna sell what society wants. And uh, people would ask me, I said, well, aren't you afraid that uh, you know people, people want veggie burgers, people want more veggie options? Isn't that a threat to your business? I go, it's not a threat at all. If people wanna buy veggie burgers at higher volumes, We'll be the first one to do it. If they only buy it at lower volumes, we'll be very slow at doing it. So, you know, are are more veggie veggie options better for the world? They absolutely are. There's no doubt that the more, you know, vegetables and fiber and fruits that people eat, the better off we all are. So obviously, you know, I'd be a proponent of doing that, but you have to be able to sell it. So, you know, and sell it at high volume. So no, I think what the future, if, if the world wants different types of food, I I, I think McDonald's can deliver on it, and I I hope that the demand is there. You might ask, well, what comes first? You know, I mean, hey, the Apple phone. You know, nobody asked for the Apple phone. Steve Jobs, you know, put it out there. So I don't know. I I tend to think in this case, there's got to be a, a a real demand, especially when it comes to how people eat. You know, one company can't change. You know, what does the average person go to McDonald's maybe two, three times a month? You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna change the food industry, unlike a tech company that can put out something like Google or or Facebook or an Apple phone. I don't know. It's different to change people how they. If I had to say of all the things I worked on, changing nutrition was the most difficult by far, by far, because how we change how people eat is very, very difficult. Now, uh, I'm proud that McDonald's changed to Happy Meal. I think it's, uh, that's an underrated thing. I think they the changed it to a smaller fry, put food in there and all that. And, and the soda's not a first choice. I think, wow, I think that's one of the best moves that we ever did. So I think we played a role for kids that way. I was, uh, I was very proud to work for McDonald's. I liked the people. I liked the brand. I liked our food. I didn't have any problems promoting my company. I never felt like a shill. You know, I was always cognizant of being a shill. Mm-hmm. You know, how people wear, you know, like McDowell's pins and stuff like that. I never did it. I wouldn't wear a McDowell because I didn't want... I go, I'm already being perceived as a corporate suit already. I'm already being perceived perhaps as a shill for the company. Uh, I'm going to do everything I can not to be that way. So I'd always be very honest in every talk, every speech, every interview I gave. There's nothing I said that wasn't the absolute you know, truth.
0: Yeah, and I think you still are proud to have worked at McDonald's and to be a part of the legacy that you've left behind. I think that's very, very evident. And I think that if you care for, about sustainability and you work for a company, then you have to be proud of that company. Otherwise your standards just wouldn't allow you to work for it. So I believe in the company as well. And I believe that the company is doing good and is a good company. And that, you know, from the inside, you have these people who are passionate, persistent and patient who can, uh, you know, drive slowly some of this change to help the company to continue to be successful into the future while adapting to the external pressures in the world. So I think there's um, a lot for everybody, not just at McDonald's, obviously, listening, but also from other big organizations. And I connect with these people all the time who are trying to create that kind of movement from inside who can learn so much from, um, from your story, Bob and, and everything that you've well, done. When you,
1: when you add up what McDonald's had did during my career there, I guess I'm always one to see the world as it is. And then like how you can make it better. You know, am I going to argue whether people should eat meat or not eat? Well, the reality is, you know, people are eating a lot of meat. And uh, so when, the, in the meantime, I'm not going to argue against that. And let's make meat eating as you know, nutritious as we can, as safe as we can, and uh, environmentally sound as we can, as animal-friendly as we can, Yeah. Uh, given the realities of a business.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not make people feel bad about their lifestyle choices. So that's not the business that we're in, right? Is making people feel like they are, they are a bad human being. They are living in... The same world that you are, and we all have.
1: Well, choices. this is where I see. Uh, this is where I still see the untapped potential for companies. We're probably coming to. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how long our interview is so far, but to me, <laughs> the opportunity out there. We, we started out with well, where the consumers at. I could tell you that this is, this is really, really important to consumers. Okay, fine. They're not. They're not ready to pay for it. You know, necessarily. But man, there is this gold on the table because I know that virtually most people want to do business with companies that care and take actions on these on these issues. And uh, how they get to know that and uh, feel that way and make more decisions that way is untapped. It's been tried by some companies, and the only successful companies perhaps are you yeah, the smaller ones that I don't know. Hey, Patagonia could say, "Don't buy my coats anymore," right? I remember in my early days, the body shop, you know, did stuff. Or, but but these are just, these are small companies. I'm talking about Fortune 500 companies that will see. I'm convinced this is going to happen. They're going to see more and more opportunity to fit it into their marketing and communications, but they're going to reach the consumer at a level that people aren't reaching today. But right now, you still see you know, all these companies, you know, especially in technology, they're, they're reacting. I mean, I'm shocked, like the electric car, who would have thought the movement on electric vehicles would be so big? I mean, I never thought when I was younger that today, supposedly, we're all gonna transition to electric cars, I think, over the next 10, 20 years. You know, if you wanna read a good bi- biography, I mean, I did read about Elon Musk, and i tell you what, I mean, he's, he's a great example, whether you like him or don't like him, the way that he put the electric car on the map and brought the whole industry along the way. I think what a, what a great story, what a motivator that is. <laughs> yeah. To see how any person and company can you know create a different world
0: yeah and do so by listening to those you know small signals on the fringes and by looking at where the world is headed so marrying the consumer bubbling consumer desire with the external pressures of the environment and then creating something that also is like a beautiful looking car highly attractive very functional very technologically adaptive i mean just like a, a beautiful story of that and i think that you're so right it's um it's so important to almost like just like decouple some of the things that we're seeing based on our own personal perceptions of like who Elon Musk is today. actually just go back to really great case studies of change and where change, effective change has happened and look at that quite objectively.
1: Yeah. I think I would, I would hope that the McDonald's of the world and other companies can uh, be motivated by that because, you know, companies need to change. Whether I say McDonald's or General Motors or Ford or, you know, Facebook, all these companies need to be uh, different 20 years from now yeah. than they are today.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, how, how are they going to be different? And this is going to be a big part of mm. how they manage this.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if, going back to your point about smaller companies doing it, if the big companies like McDonald's aren't doing it, then you can bet that somebody else is, and you, they are very, very much at risk of being superseded and your company suffering as a result i think
1: you're right i still go back to the i think it's very easy for any yeah another fast food company to come in that we never heard of yeah i think it's very very possible for a company to come in and see well there's so many unmet unmet needs you know i I have this new business so yes businesses that are satisfied content they're 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 gonna we're gonna die just like i worked for sears in some summer jobs if you if you were raised like i was sears was the um amazon of its day i mean it was just so innovative as a company until it got so big and comfortable that it didn't it didn't adapt to the new world so uh good luck in your work and all the people and companies really it goes well beyond mcdonald's i speak i speak about this more you know generically that uh and we need we need leaders out there in, in every aspect of it, including the topic I'm talking about. I mean, I think how societal issues are treated in a company. Although I, I think it's the biggest business movement of the last thirty years. I'd like to have somebody argue differently. Like, what business movement has been more significant than sustainability? I don't think there has been. I don't think it's close, but it's not big enough. So it, it came from you know, kind of nowhere. You know to being uh reactive and and now it's you know some people are saying it's fairly mainstream but it's nowhere near what it should be so we'll see and i i hope the leaders like uh that are listening today uh that they see the the seeds have been planted to up until today and can accelerate it that's what i want to see i want to see the acceleration happen the last 33 years do we get that much more progress done in the next five years.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I hate to end on a doom and gloom statement, but when it comes to sustainability and business, things are going to get worse before they get better. So I think it continues to be the biggest issue that big companies have to face and have to address. So,
1: no, well, absolutely.
0: Uh, Well, Bob, uh, I know that we're a little bit over time, but I do have one last question for you that I promised to ask you what your go-to is when you want to push yourself to look outside.
1: So I like to read. So when I read a book about Merkel, Angela Merkel, I just read a book about her. It's called The Chancellor. I go, wow. So I read that book. I I just elevated my thinking so much because I read about what she did. But I read a book about George Washington and how he led America at the beginning, I go, that book should have been called The uh, Art of Leadership because everything I read in it was about how to, you know, lead people in tough times and and traveling. Like a lot of people, when they travel, they consider it to be a a burden. But to me, it's like, oh, it's not a burden to me. I'm like, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to be seeing different people in the airport. I'm going to be meeting different people. I'm going to be going to different towns and countries. And when I see different people in different settings in different cultures. I don't know. It just it, it gets me into a, uh, a different world and allows me to think differently. Got to think differently because the danger of working in a company is that you're all going to be uh, brainwashed. You're all going to be uh, thinking, this is the way we are. I still think complacency in a company is, is one of the biggest uh, problems. I, I always felt that uh A lot of people and companies are they're trying to lay low you got to be willing to uh you know make a difference you know I mean uh what are we here for I mean are we here just to kind of slide in and not be noticed you know I would say uh you know be noticed stand up raise your hand give an (laughs) opinion Mm -hmm. state your case never give up those are the people that companies like anyway now you might you know, feel uncomfortable doing some of the time. And by the way, do this all in a professional you know, way all, all the time and be hopefully one of the nicest people around. I'm not saying you should be a, a, a jerk or brash about it, but stand up for what you believe in and then keep, keep advocating for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautifully said. And I think it touches on those three points that you mentioned before as well. So like really lean into your passion. Be persistent about the things that you believe in and persistent about getting the company out of the comfort zone and out of that state of complacency that's so high risk. So good to talk to you, Bob. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing your journey with us.
1: You're welcome. We're talking to Joe.
0: thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review or share the show and I will see you next time. Until then, keep looking outside.